Hello, everybody, and welcome to the series Ethics and Caribbean Philosophy at the University of Toronto Center for Ethics. I am Ben Davis, postdoctoral fellow in ethics here. You can find the previous events of our series on Stuart Hall's ethics, Claudia Jones's turn to China, and Chris Seeley's recent conceptualization of creolizing the nation here on the Center for Ethics YouTube channel. Tonight, we will be speaking about the Martinican poet and philosopher, Edouard Glissant, with Miguel Gualdron Ramirez, Assistant Professor of Philosophy at the University of North Texas. Welcome, Miguel. Hi, Ben. How are you? Thank you for the invitation. It's really nice to see you. We're going to be discussing a few questions as usual, and then opening up to discussion of the audience. So for those of you in the audience, feel free to post your questions in our chat at any time. Tonight is our final event in the series, so I'm hoping to create more time for audience participation as a way of thanking everybody who's been with us for the past few months. Okay, so Miguel, Glissant writes about the Caribbean as a privileged space for understanding the present. Can you explain this idea of the import of the Caribbean itself to get us started? Yes, um, um, I feel that there is something Glissant's thought that brings us very um, grounded or, or presents us in a very grounded way to the conditions of what is to think um, and how do we think and how do we approach philosophical matters among, among many others. Um, so Glissant's philosophy is interested not only in thinking but in, but in showing all the presuppositions that are behind what, what is thinking. And one of them is this um, place out of which we think um, the time as well, I don't know, when, when we think. Um, so this is the beginning of, of Poetics of Relation, which is one of the most beautiful uh, sections, fragments of that beautiful book in general, um, to, to consider the conditions under which we think means that, or to think thought, he says, means actually that we have to consider and reflect upon the circumstances. Um, and the Caribbean is the place out of which uh, he thinks, um, and also many of us uh, organize our, our philosophical reflections. Um, the Caribbean is in general a space that, um, or a site where all the world comes together for Glissant. Um, for historical reasons, um, the Caribbean was uh, the first um, moment, but also place in time and in, and in the world where all cultures came together uh, or many, many cultures around the world because of the colonization of the Americas um, and, the, and the American territories. Um, so uh, people from Africa, from Asia, from Europe, from the Americas itself um, um, came together uh, under very different conditions in the Caribbean. And the traces of that getting together um, are visible in the Caribbean right now. So it's a, it's a place where the whole world comes together, but also shows in this coming together fluidity, transformation, movement. Um, and therefore it's a, it's, a, it's a moment, it's a possibility for us to, to consider it as the site of thinking or as a site of thinking that is relevant for the rest of the world. Um, there are other conditions of the Caribbean that are important in the history and in the geography itself. Uh, Gisan talks about the impossibility of tracing back um, linearity 
filiation, rootedness uh, in the Caribbean in particular. It might be the case that this is the, a condition of the whole world, but in the Caribbean that is visible and that can be presented in a more uh, clear way um, than, than perhaps in other, in other spaces. And therefore the Caribbean is a moment um, and, a, and a place that would allow us to realize some of those conditions of the world um, and therefore think with fluidity um, in this rhizomatic way that he presents at the beginning of poetic subrelation, as perhaps it's not seen in other in other places in the world. I appreciate that answer and emphasizing the first section of poetics, which I also think about a lot. The emphasis that thinking thought usually withdraws from some kind of place, and I think that's important for ethics as well, because we have this sense sometimes, at least in the US and Canada, where you might go on a retreat to clarify something or to a monastery or to the forest or something, these kind of cliches, whereas I see Glissant as stressing this, this need of engagement that seems different from an ethics of withdrawal. Yeah, I, I, I like this. I like this point, uh, sort of like withdrawing from in order to think better, in order to clear your mind, um, um, remove yourself from the world in order to be able to think the world. Put it in this way seems very contradictory and very difficult that this would make sense to think political, ethical, um, aesthetic questions in, in general. Can you say more about, I mean, for me in say the history of philosophy, one of the reasons that that introduction is so striking is that we have, we've inherited a tradition where say in book 10 of Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics, ultimately theory is, is privileged over practice as a kind of contemplative exercise. So how do you see, you mentioned a number of concepts already, uh, rootedness and rhizomatic thinking and different histories. Can you contextualize some of that in, in a history of philosophy and why, why you see those moves as important? Um, yeah, um, I, think, I think it's important to, to, to consider the possibility of intervening in the history of philosophy from a, an American, uh, by that I mean, obviously the continent um, perspective, which includes the, the Caribbean as well. Um, so intervening in that history of philosophy would mean that we tend to think of the history of philosophy as something that was born in Greece um, and sort of like uh, evolved into uh, uh, other places in Europe uh, was manifested at his um, highest um, uh, space or, or, or situation in Germany, perhaps in France, uh, and then was at some point in England um, extended to the rest of the world or exported to the rest of the world. Um, and if we think, if we follow sort of like the discussions about the, you know, the colonization of the Americas, the status of, of the uh, American indigenous peoples uh, with regard to those forms of colonization, the debate of Valladolid in the um, 16th century, the idea still is maintained that there is something like thought comes from Europe and we have to think of the people who are there, but from Europe, or do they adapt to our categories, etc. Um, part of what someone like 
Bartolomé de las Casas, for example, does, which is, is still a, a, a European thinker in, in many ways, is also think from the Americas or, or situate his thought from the Americas in order to challenge many of the conclusions and, and um, uh, uh, generalized ideas of, of European philosophy, in particular, perhaps Aristotle or how Aristotle was taken with regard to the idea of a natural slave and these kinds of things. So de las Casas would root, um, difficult word to use here, uh, situate himself in the Americas uh, in order to think about the possibility of considering some of the questions that is answers to these questions in a different way. Um, and there, there is a disruption there that I, 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 I would suggest does not mean that we have to abandon these other frameworks or these other categories that we only have to think from the Americas as if the Americas is a separate place that has nothing to do with it, but it's intervening in that history of philosophy from an American perspective. Um, and we can do the same from an African, Asian, et cetera, perspective. Um, to intervene, to disrupt, and to show the many ways in which categories, European perhaps categories of thought themselves have been created through the connection and the expansion and the um, struggle with other concepts, with other conceptions, with other ways of looking at the world. So that would be perhaps one of the, one of the examples, um, this sort of like debate uh, about the status of the indigenous peoples in the Americas, whether they had souls or not, uh, according to how it was formulated at the time. But we could also think of other, other elements of disruption um, in, the, in the history of European philosophy that would be perhaps intervened in this way. I think this amounts in, in someone like Lisanne to say that in general, no thought, no category, no philosophy is pure. No philosophy, no history of thought can be traced back to an origin that is a pure origin. Um, obviously, uh, ancient Greece was also at that time um, intervened by the dialogue with other cultures, by the uh, struggles with other cultures, by the cultural imaginaries and artistic uh, manifestations of other cultures and other places of the world. So there is nothing pure itself in that supposedly pure origin of, of uh, Western thought. Um, and and the, the existence of the Caribbean would be able to show this, to manifest this, to highlight this uh, even more clearly for the rest of the world. That's a great uh, response in thinking through how place conditions and informs thought. In addition to the history of philosophy, one of the things I want to talk to you about tonight is situating Glissant in Caribbean thought. Uh, you have a, an article to stay where you are as a decolonial gesture, where you read Glissant between Césaire and Fanon so offering neither a reconstruction looking to Africa, nor an invocation of a tabula rasa, but a call for work, as you say, here and now, as temporal and spatial intervention that your reading introduces to us. Can you talk about this situation and also some of what you have in mind with this here now conceptualization? Yes, um, so in that, in that, paper, I, I attempt to show um, something that has been claimed before, um, the sort of like intermediate space that Lisanne would 
uh, or the Sans philosophy were, were occupied between Césaire and Fanon. Um, I take that intermediate space or moment or space or role perhaps uh, in a different way, I think to, to, to others who have suggested a similar uh, middle, middle ground. Um, I, I focus mostly in that paper on the uh, spatial conditions of the Caribbean. So how the Caribbean as, as the site of struggle was taken by Fanon and Césaire spatially um, in, a, in a very specific way that for Glissant amounts to a, uh, an example of what he calls uh, at the beginning of, of Caribbean discourse, um, a strategy of uh, diversion, um, um, the colonial strategy of diversion as different from one of uh, return. Um, and so in, in Césaire, what we have in general according to my interpretation in that paper, is sort of like a focus on the Caribbean space itself um, that renders it as rotten, uh, putrid, um, destroyed um, by the work of colonization. Um, and this is, I think, manifested in a very visceral way, I think, in the, in the notebook of a return to a native land. Uh, in particular, I would say in the first, first edition, uh, where the conditions of the Caribbean, of the Caribbean space, the geography are presented as, um, yeah, as rotten. That's that's the word that he uses uh, many times. Uh, the beach, for example, is presented as sucking life, leaking the the land, uh, uh, um, eating life out of the land, out of that island. Um, so the incessant sort of movement of the ocean as taking life away from the island itself. The island and the archipelago are shown uh, several times throughout the poem as um, uh, nothing, as a nothing, as an incompleteness, as a, as a non-closure that does not allow for the inhabitants and the people sort of like to come together uh, and to organize a, a society, a, a community, etc. I don't think that Césaire thinks that there is something essential about the Caribbean that makes it rotten. So he uses these as metaphors, I would say, the space itself. But the space itself, nevertheless, is presented as um, incapable of being, of being saved, of being rescued from this work of colonization. Um, and Fanon, on the other hand, um, presents a, con a reconstruction of the space itself, of the geography, uh, and what I think is a, it's a geographical approach to the colonial spaces, as also um, um, constructed by the work of, of colonization and therefore with nothing in themselves that would allow for liberation and, and reconstruction and, and um, um, a positive creative form of struggle. Um, so for Fanon, um, there, are, there are conditions in the space itself that should be taken, um, should be destroyed. To, to destroy the, the, the house of the master is also to destroy the house of the slave or the enslaved person, right? Uh, you cannot take one without the other. So there's nothing in the house of the slave person or the, uh, or the place where they inhabit that, they, that would be offering something to rescue it or to construct it. We have to destroy everything, the culture of the colonized. We have to get rid of all the artistic, religious, um, cultural practices in order to create history, in order to create identity for the first time, a real identity. 
I feel that Glissan is located between these two. Um, so Glissan does not think that we that there is nothing to be saved in this in this um, in this space. Uh, he thinks that the history of the Caribbean and in particular in Martinique, that the history is spatial, that landscape is, is history, he says. And therefore there is something there that can help reconstructing many, many of these elements. Um, in the Caribbean in particular, I would say for Glissant, there is this necessity of, of uh, overcoming the, the, the uh, demands of linearity, both for history, what he calls history with a capital H, but also for geography that I, that I just following that Glissantian suggestion call geography with capital H. The idea that, that the world is, can be put on a map, that every single space in the world, every single place can be put on a map, that there is nothing that would withdraw or resist um, that absolute categorization, cart cartographization, um, so that so that everything is presented there in the Caribbean, both history and geography of space would resist uh, and enact what he calls opacity or, or or elements of opacity that would resist being put in those on those um, categories. Um, and therefore, there is something in the here and now, um, both especially and temporally historically, that have resources in order to construct. Uh, possibilities of liberation. Um, the here and now in the Caribbean is theorized by him in, in Caribbean discourse as what he calls um, the advance of, of the Americas or the advance of America. That's a, a possible translation, l'avance, he calls it. Um, sort of like the Caribbean as this outgrowth of, of the continent, of the mainland, that involves the sense of a risk risking something, going after something that is unknown, but also detaching itself from some of the practices of the, of the continent itself. So there is a risk, scape, retrace, uh, a rhizomatic sort of movement in the Caribbean itself. Um, and um, that would be the source of what he calls expansion uh, and movement in, in the Caribbean, here and now, right? So it's not about going back to, to, uh, to, to the roots, to Africa perhaps, or to Europe in order to find these sources of liberation is also not about um, inventing a new form of life that has nothing to do with what we have right now. It's to focus on the cultures that we have as the effects, but also the conditions of possibility of colonialism and uh, resistance to colonialism or decolonization. Um, temporally and, and especially. I always learn from hearing you talk about this and the Cuisson's relationship with time and space to things I don't always think with or think well with perhaps. Can you talk a little bit, you mentioned history with a capital H, can you introduce that to the audience a little bit? Yes, of course. Um, this is perhaps one of the um, uh, most well-known uh, motives of Caribbean discourse, um, that, that very interesting section on histories, uh, stories, so histories, history, stories, uh, could be an approximate translation, where he basically describes the motive, the desire behind colonization, the historical desire, uh, temporal as well, 
as something that he calls history with a capital H. Uh, basically the idea that time moves uh, from the past to the present to the future in a line that we can trace back those moments as well. So we can from the present go back to the past by reconstructing the manifestations and a factual movement of history. And that, that therefore we can predict out of the conditions of the past and the present also predict the future where we are going. He thinks, he doesn't mention this very explicitly, obviously he mentions here Hegel, um, but, but it would be possible to reconstruct many of the ideas uh, of the enlightenment um, in, in Europe, for example, as organized around the idea of a linearity of history, history with a capital H. Uh, Kant, for example, would be a good manifestation of this idea of the progress of reason, uh, of history as the, as the as the path of progress, um, even when it is ideal, right? We're approximating an ideal um, um, society and, and, and peaceful organization of the world. We're always moving toward that goal. Um, and I think uh, uh, Francis Fukuyama's uh, notion of the end of history would be an example of this linearity as well. So what Glissant thinks that actually we see in the Caribbean is not only the impossibility of history with a capital H, because in the Caribbean we have, um, it was created this, this out of this, or one of the origin, one of the beginnings of this is the transatlantic slave trade, um, which is theorized by him at the beginning of Poetics of Relation as, a, as an abyss uh, and the idea of the open boat. And what the abyss shows is that there is an interruption in the history, which makes it impossible to talk about a linear history. So something happened that is evoked by him as something that will not allow us to go back, um, ultimately. The, the, the beginning of the Caribbean, but this is the beginning of the Americas, um, what, we, what, what the Americas is today, one of the beginnings, is this abyss that disrupts completely the idea of a linearity in history. So what we have in the Caribbean is the impossibility to accept that linearity, but also conditions of its overcoming. So not only, not only this doesn't fit, this category doesn't fit here, but we can also show how to overcome the idea of the colonial uh, idea of a history with a capital H by focusing on what he calls histories. So with lowercase h and in plural, uh, which is the histories of the people. And I always, suggests Glissant's own lit literature, uh, his novels and his poems as examples of this history or these histories, um, trying to trace back moments, elements, um, um, heritages, perhaps disruptions, clashes, struggles that cannot be followed in a, in a linear way. Um, so that's one element there. I, I feel that there is a out of this idea, we can also trace the idea of a geography with capital G, which is this notion of the map, right? Like an absolute map that would be able to put every single space, every single place on earth on a paper. Um, and this is also behind the, the, the desire of, of colonization and of expansion of Europe to the whole world. Um, someone like Santiago Castro Gomez, for example, has talked about this cartography or the conditions of this cartography in the idea of a um, zero point hubris, uh, which is the notion of a 
a place out of which we see everything, but that cannot be seen, that, that withdraws from that, from that manifestation. Um, and in that regard, I think this notion of geography with a capital G would also be disrupted by the Caribbean, by the existence of the Caribbean, because Glissant thinks the Caribbean, the Caribbean's unity is submarine. So it's not visible. Um, this is following that, that epigraph in, in Poetics of Relation. Um, uh -huh. Come out, Brathwaite. Uh -huh. Yes, Brathwaite. Um, the unity is submarine, right? So there is something that resists that cartography, that absolute cartography in space, there is something in speciality. There is something that resists this history with capital H in temporality and in histories. And what his philosophy, I would, I would say in, in many ways, we can trace in, in many of his works, I, the, the, the traces go, go back to the, to the manifestations of a, a way to grapple with this idea. Right, that this idea that there is something in the Caribbean that resists the colonial gaze, the colonial enterprise. Uh, even though we can think of the Caribbean usually as one of the places where colonization was the most successful, right? Cried for a long time, uh, extracted. It's the motor of the industrialization of Europe. It's the source of the wealth that we see today. Of, um, of Europe, uh, uh, the extraction of people from Africa, of resources from Africa, the extraction of people from the Caribbean and resources from the Caribbean. So even though colonization worked very well and was very successful, at the same time we see the hope and the source of resistance um, today and for the future also in the same space, in the same region of the world. I think with some of the things you mentioned, I go back to Glissant's Mahogany as an example of a different kind of story trying to say what happens when we look at these histories from the perspective of a tree that saw them in a way. I also, you mentioned the epigraphs to Poetics of Relation, and I've been thinking recently of one way of reading that book is just as you said, you could read Glissant as between Césaire and Fanon. I'm thinking of reading poetics as between some of uh, Brathwaite's sense of the new and experimentalism with the other epigraph he has in that book, Derek, Derek Walcott's See His History and Walcott's Poetics, which is more, as I read it, uh, about creativity under constraint, about working within certain forms and stories like the Homeros and um, innovating. That's not the word I want to use, but it's the only one I have right now. Uh, within those constraints. What do you think about thinking of, of poetics as th through, in between, or how do you read Glissant with respect to those epigraphs? Um, that's, a, that's a great question and it's very complicated. Um, I feel that there is something about the marine and submarine uh, tension between the two epigraphs, right? The unity submarine, mm -hmm. the sea's history, there is something about like movement here. Um, so, um, so you will not be able, obviously, to, to uh, reduce the Caribbean to one of those, right? To the ocean, as, as we see it, as, we, as it is manifested, um, but also to the submarine um, 
which is not only the ocean, right? The submarine is also the, the land mm-hmm. uh, below the sea. Um, and glissante folks this in, in poetics, like both things, I think in a, in a very interesting way. Um, the, um, the, the, the opening pages of, of Poetics of Relation for, for those who are not familiar with the text, have this uh, very well-known um, section called the open boat, where he describes this idea of the open boat um, as, 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 a, as a place that is closed, that is created to, to, to house, to, to limit, to imprison people. And at the same time, it's a space, a place that opens people for the world. Uh, for the Americas, the people who are being carried, um, but also today, perhaps, for the world. So in that sense, we see in the ocean, in the sea, one, well, that's one of the manifestations of the abyss, the bottom of the sea, he says, is now planted with the remnants and the effects of these travels of innumerable ships uh, carrying millions of people from Africa to the Americas, from the corpses, corpses of the people who were thrown overboard or who jumped, uh, from the um, chains, um, from the from the ships themselves, right? Um, so it's planted with this, the bottom of the sea. Um, there are interesting uh, artistic manifestations of this. Um, um, we can we can talk about this later. So so evocations of this bottom of the sea and, and what happens there. Um, but Glissant moves between these two, right? The, the space what is what is below the ocean itself, with the bottom of the ocean, but also the ocean itself as it as it comes to the shores, as it comes to the the beaches in in the Caribbean uh, and in the mainland main, uh, mainland as well. Um, so there is something in between that I will feel is also poetics in between Walcott and Redwood. And so in that in-betweenness, I think it also moves something um, important here in the sense of, in the sense of poetics. Um, I think it's interesting that he chooses these two poets uh, who are also writers, uh, essayists, um, but, but are, are perhaps manifested in this poetic element of evoking the unity and the history of the Caribbean, which are two of the most uh, important important motives here. He begins, nevertheless, I mean, the, the text itself of the, after this by talking about, or at least evoking Deleuze and Guattari uh, in, in their idea of, of the rhizome. So this is the, the first page of the open boat, the first section, um, which I have also always considered interesting. Um, as a way to open the text itself, the, the book itself, to refer to these categories that were not perhaps considered immediately with relation to the, to the Caribbean. So I, I mean to say with this that it's not only between or in between these two authors, obviously, but, but the Caribbean is also in between America and Europe, America, the continent and Europe. Um, he's from the very beginning not renouncing to think with and through European categories. He's not by any means essentializing or romanticizing the Caribbean as a, as a space in its own. Uh, he's not only using categories that were created in the Caribbean, perhaps. Um, 
but he's also pointing to another being in between that I think it's conveyed in this idea of the advance of the Americas sort of like movement. Yeah. I, I have to think about this though much more, uh, this, your suggestion of the two epigraphs. Um, I, I, I like this point. Yes, not to mention a dedication to an assassinated poet uh, as well. So it's a, I haven't spent nearly enough time with that myself. Maybe our readers will ask you more about how you read those poets in Deleuze and Guattari also, but, and, and I would encourage our, our audience, I mean our readers, <laughs> uh, to post their questions still. I have a few more of my own and then we can open up the discussion. I wanted to ask you, Miguel, because there is a presentation of Glissant's trajectory in those who study his work uh, that did present the early work as more Marxist or decolonial, but clearly political. And the later work in the shift in the 90s to creolization often, often marking this, or poetics marking this, uh, as too utopian, too hopefully cosmopolitan, that his thinking here with this concept of the two moon, the, the whole world, the world entire, as uh, glossing over the regional particularities and, and the struggles that his earlier work underscored. So I'm wondering, you've mentioned, we've talked a lot about poetics. I know the book means a lot to both of us, but I'm wondering how you think about his broader trajectory overall with respect to politics, with respect to an ethics. Yeah, that's, that's a very good question. And I feel that um, part of what I've, I've tried to do by reading Glissant and by writing about his, his work is also to grapple with this widespread conception that there are two Glissants and that uh, the latter is unfortunately less political, less committed to certain forms of, of, of political uh, decolonization um, in the Caribbean. So, so perhaps the idea is, uh, you know, this figure of the young Lissant uh, engaged in the uh, practical activist work of decolonization by, by creating this, this alliance of, uh, with uh, other poets and, and people, uh, Caribbeans working in, in, in living in France for the liberation of the Antilles, um, the Guyana and Martinique and, mm -hmm. and other people and how he was um, persecuted and mm -hmm. uh, arrested in a way, arrested in France, uh -huh. able to go back to Martinique, um, as opposed to the uh, uh, old Glissant who would be like traveling around the world, uh, speaking at uh, big universities, teaching at the US, um, sort of having this less committed work of activist work and more perhaps the intellectual perhaps distinction. Um, so these two images, I think, I mean, they, they are clearly ways to understand his life and I, I am um, by no means a, an expert on his life uh, itself. Um, so others might be able to talk more about the accurate aspect of this character of this characterization in general. But I think there is something interesting about um, what he what he attempted to do in the second part of his of his life. Um, I think there is an activist, very explicit commitment to 
a, a global understanding, grappling with and denunciation of slavery, for example, um, as a global matter, right? Not only as, you know, something that has to do with the history of America and perhaps the history of Africa, uh, how it's manifested today in, in effects of slavery, but as something that constitutes a fundamental I was going to say chapter, but it was precisely not a chapter, element or condition of humanity, perhaps. Slavery is something that has been in with humanity almost always, right? It's almost a condition of humanity itself. Um, so to raise this from a very specific example of this, uh, perhaps a, a, um, the most tragic one, if you want, but also to focus on this globality of this. And so he has all of this um, uh, public manifestos calling for the um, commemoration of the abolition of slavery, um, for the uh, uh, collections of statements against slavery that, that human beings have done throughout history, um, the uh, condemnation of slavery today, what, what slavery means today, and the, and, the, and the practices of slavery today that we don't think about that we don't talk about, that we completely disregard when we think of enslavement in general. And there is something very political about this that I feel would be um, unfair to characterize as mm -hmm. apolitical as you know this work of the intellectual. So that's one element that I wanted to mention. He has very interesting uh, manifestos with Patrick Chamoiseau on um, um, uh, racism on uh, walls, mm -hmm. right? We could apply this to, to, the, to the situation of the United States today, obviously, uh, but we also have to think about um, walls in, in Palestine, walls in Peru, um, um, walls in the Mediterranean um, that he mentions uh, in, this, in some of these texts. I'm thinking about the short texts like when the walls fall, and also that other one that, that is an address, uh, a letter to Obama uh, called, what would be the translation, the intractable beauty of the world, mm -hmm. um, where he, where he and, and, and Shamosu uh, denounced this practice itself and called for a global movement um, to fight against and to resist and to denounce the construction of walls, uh, racism, contemporary forms of racism and white supremacy. Um, that's another thing I wanted to mention, and perhaps, I, I don't know, I, I think uh, John Drabinsky has this suggestion in his book uh, um, on Glissant, uh, Glissant, the Middle Passage, that perhaps aesthetics would be a, an interesting way to approach the thought, Glissant's thought, if I remember this correctly, um, uh, Glissant's thought as a, as a, I don't want to say coherent, right, but as, but as a a thought that develops and changes, but it's nevertheless political, true and true. Um, and so aesthetics has this political formulation as well that I think in many ways uh, would work. So I would also like to put that suggestion to, so to try to show or, or, to, or to research if that suggestion um, is, uh, can, be, can be presented in his works. Um, and, and I think, Another way to do this would be his, his thought on relation, um, relation with capital R, which is in my interpretation, a political category. 
um, and, and becomes, is until the end of his life, a political category. If we read, for example, the relation, relation as it is evolved in When the Walls Fall, uh, we're talking about a condition of relation that is political in itself and that his public manifestation of denunciation of this ministry in, in France mm-hmm. that is denounced, they are denouncing in this text is a, a, a attempt at destroying or, or separating ourselves, uh, sort of going against this relation of the world, uh, of the whole world, and therefore also resisted in political terms. Um, and I, I would encourage everybody to post your questions. I'll ask this question and then turn to the audience. You mentioned aesthetics there and ethics and aesthetics, while they used to be thought together in philosophy under axiology or uh, somehow tied to questions of value and evaluation. In contemporary philosophy, ethics and aesthetics are largely different fields. And here, I would like to hear more of your thoughts on uh, aesthetics from Glissant, how you're reading that with Drabinsky. I, I understand you are writing or have at least have written a lot on, or have a sense of a decolonial aesthetics you are investigating. Uh, this would be a good time to hear more about that. Yes, um, this is my current project. I'm writing a book uh, called Decolonial Aesthetics um, that attempts to um, bring together different branches of thought, traditions of thought from the Americas that are almost never put in contact. Um, I, I come into, to come into the U.S. has meant for me uh, also realizing the isolation that thoughts uh, created uh, uh, or, 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 or organized in the U.S., for example, uh, and how they don't necessarily resonate with in the in 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 South America or in other places of Latin America, but also the opposite. Um, sort of like Latin American philosophy thought as this sometimes exotic branch of thought from the world that is important, but we actually don't get in the U.S. Um, um, I'm I'm thinking about the Black radical tradition in the U.S. in the Caribbean, the colonial thought as it is manifested in South America. Um, in, in Latin America, um, the thought of people in the in the border between the U.S. and, and Mexico, um, indigenous thought coming from uh, North America, but also then from South America. So many of these traditions are not in contact with each other. And I suggest in my book that one way to put them together and to sort of start this conversation among all of them or many of them is through the notion of aesthetics. I make the claim that Many of what has been, uh, much of what's been uh, uh, presented here, or the or the or the or the focus of, on this um, emphasis on liberation and resistance and political resistance, is uh, um, uh, located at a at a region or a moment uh, at an attitude that can be presented in terms of an aesthetic conception of the world, an aesthetic reorganization of what it is to perceive the world, what it is to be perceived by the world and how we challenge the categories that come with it 
how do we also create new categories, whether we create new categories or not, or perception of uh, political organization of community. Um, and I'm interested in showing not only theoretical thought about um, aesthetics or what I call a decolonial aesthetics. It, it doesn't necessarily fit every one of these, of these um, traditions, but also praxis. Um, so consider aesthetics also obviously from the perspective of people creating, producing, organizing, uh, and um, sort of struggling in this field of contestation that can be presented in, in terms of the aesthetic. And I think um, I, 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 because I have read Glissant and perhaps because I've started thinking about this, reading Glissant, that Glissant is a great example of both of these things. Um, mm. um, not separate or not necessarily separate. And as a, as, as a, as a philosopher trained in philosophy in a, in a conservative academia, it's, it's difficult sometimes to, to break this dichotomy between theory and praxis, uh, to think how can something be theory and praxis or how something practical is theory or, or the opposite. Um, so I'm committed to attempting to show this from a, from a coherent um, perspective, um, theory and practice or the colonial aesthetics and theory and practice. And I see this is what Glissant does, not only with his, with his language, with his attempt at breaking barriers between disciplines, between genres, between uh, um, thoughts uh, and regions, um, but also with the the ideas and the categories themselves that are that I feel are being discussed in his in his work. Um, so I don't know. Do we have time? I I wanted to read a poem by Glissant that I really like. You think that we have time, great. Ben? For sure. Awesome. So I'll try to share my screen. I've done this for a year and a half. I should be better at this. Let me do this better. Um, so I share this. And then I put it like this. This is what? It looks good. Okay. Um, so this is a poem um, included in the Restless Air um, that is called Ocean. Um, that I think would perhaps show some of the things that I've been um, uh, trying to, to think today and some elements that, it, that are uh, part of our, our dialogue today, uh, Ben. And I'm hoping that perhaps some others will see or read this and, and maybe we can continue the, the dialogue. Um, so, so I'll just read it. I have been practicing my oratory skills uh, <laughs> in, in poetry, um, but I'm not great at it yet. I, I, I'm hoping I become better. The ancestor speaks, it is the ocean. It is a race that washed the continents with its veil of suffering. It says this race, which is sung, dew of song and the muffled perfume and the blue of the sun and its mouth is the song of all the mouths of foam, ocean. You permit your accomplice, maker of stars. 
How is it you do not open your wings into a voracious lung? And see, there remains only the sum of the song and the eternity of voice and childhood already of those who will inherit it. Because as far as suffering is concerned, it belongs to all. Everyone has its vigorous sand between their teeth. The ocean is patience. Its wisdom is the terror of time. Um, there are many here, so obviously we could talk about this for hours. Uh, there are many things here that I think are doing this work of thinking about the ocean, thinking about the Caribbean space, thinking about history, thinking about time um, from a perspective that is not theoretical as the one we're used to perhaps in our very conservative academias and, and philosophy departments. Um, um, and in that sense, I think there is something that the poem itself is, is doing here or reading the poem, perhaps writing the poem as well. Um, um, the, the idea, for example, of the ocean as the ancestor, um, there is that, that beautiful novel by Maris Condé called the, in English, The Last of the African Kings, I think that uh, that's the translation. Um, uh, that talks all the time about the ancestor. The ancestor is the, the first person who was brought here, not uh, through the transatlantic slave trade, but in a, in a different movement from Africa. The ancestor in Glissant is not the person, right? Um, it might be, but here is evoked the ocean itself. So the ocean is both the, the one that created, the one that gave way to, but also he says here is the accomplice, is the one that permits, that makes many of the things that have happened. And we see that as well in the open boat mm. for those who have read the, the opening pages, right? The ocean is, he says, I salute you ocean or old ocean. Um, it's, it's respect, but also the ocean is the accomplice of this transport, of this transportation, right? It's, voracious is the is the the weapon of the death of so many people the murder of so many people that were that were that died in the in the crossing um and also has left its marks in everyone in the americas um not only the the communities that more directly come from the transatlantic slave trade the creole communities in the caribbean uh, uh, black people in general uh, in the continent uh, and other people who were also trans trans um, transplanted, uh, transported against their will from, from many other places in the world to the Americas. Um, so, so, so the continent and we, the people of this continent have to do with this, are marked by this and are created in a way by this. So everyone, as far as the suffering is concerned, it belongs to all. Everyone, everyone, that's an important word. Everyone has its vigorous sand between their teeth. So there is something that we still have with us, marked with us from this history that is the history of, of all of us. Every time that we as tourists, tourists perhaps go to the ocean or the people who live in the ocean or we eat the food from the ocean or from all of these places we're eating the, the waste, the effects, the 
the remnant, the sand, the corpses, the blood, the uh, metal of the ocean and how it was marked. Um, and in that sense, I think the ocean is a, it's a interesting place to think about history and to do history perhaps uh, from, from the continent. Um, yeah, so this is perhaps just one example that I, that I wanted to share uh, about the possibilities of maybe um, the work of aesthetics and the political work of aesthetics in someone like Lisan. I would invite you while we wait, perhaps to talk a little bit more about um, how you're thinking through these concepts of relation as a political concept, which I've been at conference presentations in opacity is what I'm thinking, thinking relation and opacity together early and late Glissant, though of course in poetics, Glissant says he's echoing his claim for a right to opacity from before and these kind of things. But anyway, I've been at conferences where people talk about relation as a kind of post-racial term that glosses over uh, material conditions, historical factors, and instead wants to think through something of a, a, a beautiful kind of euphemism of relation. And so uh, anyway, we can, we can listing glissant in there. So when you said relation was a political concept, that surprised me in a way, or at least it, it sounds worth taking note of because it's not always heard that way. So could you say a little more about uh, relation as a political, I mean, it's poetics of relation, right? Not politics of relation. So, the, so what is your sense of that? Yes. Um, I feel, I feel that, that definitely going or reading Glissant as suggesting a, suggesting that the whole world, Tutmon, is organized around a category that is no longer dependent on national borders, world market, extractivism, um, slavery, right? Uh, cheap labor, so extractivism of resources and labor, um, uh, etc. is, it's a bad reading of Lisson, um, basically. Um, and not only because of what he wrote at the beginning of his life, but also because of these manifestos that I was emphasizing mm -hmm. a while ago that emphasize, that really make clear that the problem of this, um, these walls, uh, just to mention one example, is precisely a political problem. And it's political because it is against that condition of the world, which is a condition of totality. Um, so I'm not sure how to read the notion of relation in a sense that is not intersected by all of these, by all of these categories. Um, mm -hmm. And there is a, an ethical demand here as well. So it's not only political in this sense, I would say, but it's ethical in the sense that we have a duty with the world and with the peoples of the world to stop failing, he says at some point, stop failing at listening to the whole world and engaging with the whole world and focusing only on one way of looking at the world, which is the perhaps Western, perhaps US American way of conceiving these, these categories of, or, or, or these notions. Um, and so there is also here an ethical demand that is by no means 
or, or I don't know how to conceive it as post-racial or colorblind or sort of like globalized in this, in this apolitical sense. What, what perhaps Glissant is not doing so much would be what he did at some point in his life was call for a uh, independence of Martinique mm-hmm. and of the Antilles to the creation of a new nation state um, perhaps to the, you know, many other uh, political uh, tactics and resources that uh, Martinicans uh, voted overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly in, in, against, mm-hmm. uh, for example, with, with Césaire, uh, uh, I mean, in, in, in connection with Césaire's political influence in, in, in Martinique, just, just to use as an example, so not to become a nation, an independent nation, but to become a territory overseas of, of France. So there is something here that he's also listening to, in a sense. Um, I've suggested that in, in, in some of my writings that Glissant was also grew, also sort of disappointed at, the, at that reaction by Martinicans, for example, um, disappointed at the possibilities of actually overcoming this dependence on France and perhaps create a notion of, of independence, but also disappointed with the extreme enmity and sort of uh, rivalry between Caribbean countries, nations, and, and peoples. Um, so the failure, for example, of the attempts of creating a, uh, a Caribbean federation of, of countries, of, uh, of nations, right? That was cross-linguistic, cross-cultural, um, um, that, that failed very quickly um, because of the enmities and because of some, some sort of like national cultural disputes between the French-speaking, the English-speaking, the Spanish-speaking, um, which, which is obviously a shame. So remnants of colonization that would not allow for a true unity. So perhaps one, one reason for this would be disappointed at the, at the politics of the Caribbean, he turned to a different conception of the political, which is in my interpretation, an aesthetic poetic conception that has political and aesthetic, uh, sorry, ethic uh, ramifications and branches, um, but perhaps it's not just, just reducible to that. So I read Glissant's letter thought on beauty, for example, um, in, in those manifestos and in, in other short pieces as political. That's, that's, that's what I want to do, um, sort of push this in the best way that I can.